morning I want to finish a sermon I started three weeks ago. That keeps going on and on. And if you've been visiting for three weeks here, I want you to know that we do occasionally preach on something other than angels. In fact, I've never uh, preached on anything on, on angels before, I don't think. But um, our, the way we do things here, if you want to see balance, you've got to come over a long period of time. Because when we get into one topic, we get into the topic. And uh, as long as I'm discovering stuff, I like to share it. So one-week sermons turn into two-week sermons, and two-week sermons turn into three-week sermons. And in fact, this might even be the fourth week, I don't know. But this whole series we're calling Touched by an Angel. And it comes out of the book of Hebrews. This is the longest teaching. The reason why we're taking this as an opportunity to teach on angels and what role they have and whatnot is because this is the longest single teaching that you find in Scripture on angels. It starts in Hebrews 1 and it goes, we'll see next week, yes we will, into, cha- into Hebrews chapter 2. Um, but let me just read one verse here. Uh, verse 14 where the author concludes this chapter, or this point that he's making here by saying this. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Let's pray. Lord, even as I'm talking here, um, and even as your spirit is working here, Lord, I'm aware of the fact that there are angels in this place. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray, God, that what is said here would be a delight to their ears as well as be receptive in our ears. Because I pray that it would be truth, and I pray that it would have anointing. But as in worship, Lord, so it is in preaching, God, we know, we know that there is nothing of any kingdom fruit that comes from human striving from human preparation, unless your Spirit is there anointing it. So Lord, I would pray, we would together pray right now that your Word would go forth with Spirit and anointing and power like Paul's preaching did. And you have your way here, Lord. You have your way. And instruct your people, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Could you give me a little more on the monitors, if, if you could, Rick? The deal here is this. Uh, the author is talking to uh, this congregation. This congregation is composed, we've seen, mainly, mainly of Jewish Christians. And these Jewish Christians are kind of getting in a bad way. Uh, they thought the Lord was going to come back real soon, and he hasn't come back yet. And they've been ostracized by their Jewish brothers and sisters. They're feeling very alienated, out of place. They're, they're undergoing some persecution. And some of these... Jewish brothers and sisters are beginning to think about abandoning the faith. They're thinking about going back to Judaism. Going back to this religion that has a nice, nice, safe set of rules. Uh, It outlines exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You don't have to have this weird stuff of following the Spirit. Some of you know firsthand that there's a certain security in being told what you have to think and what you have to do and and whatever. Uh, There's a security in that. And these Hebrew Christians are thinking about going back to that. Part of what they're thinking about doing is not rejecting Jesus altogether, but maybe thinking of Jesus as an angel. We know from other sources that many Jewish Christians in the first century thought of Jesus as an archangel, a a high angel. He wasn't God manifested in the flesh. That was too difficult for them and their Jewish mindset to accept. So these Jewish Christians just thought, well, um, we'll see him as an angel. We'll still reverence him. He'll still be important to us. We'll still listen to his teachings. 
We'll still call ourselves Christians, but we'll be able to get along with our Jewish brothers and sisters because all that we're disagreeing with is, is about this angel. And so the point that the author of Hebrews wants to start off making is this. Jesus is not an angel. And you cannot reduce Jesus down to an angel. There's nine things, he says, in chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews. Nine ways that Jesus is superior to the angels. And just listen to these. This is sort of a summary here. Unlike all the angels, number one, in verse 2, it says that Christ is the heir of all things. He inherits all things. He owns all things. Unlike the angels, he's the creator of all things. Verse 2. Unlike the angels, he is the exact image of the Father's essence, of God's essence. He is the image of God, the Word of God. Unlike all the angels, he has a superior name. The name Yeshua, Jesus, means Yahweh saves, or Jehovah our Savior. An angel was never named that. That's not an angelic name. Five, he's called the Son, unlike all the angels. He's worshipped, unlike all the angels. In fact, God commands the angels to worship him. Though in other spots, angels are are prohibited to be worshipped. They're not allowed to be worshipped, but they're commanded to worship Jesus. Number seven, it is said that he is the creator and God of all who reigns forever. Number eight, it says that he sits at the right hand of God, which means he sits in the power of God. He sits in the glory of God. That was never said of an angel. Angels are exalted beings, but they're not that exalted. This is one who reigns in the power of God. And finally, number nine, it says in verse 13 that he has promised victory. He will sit in the power of God at the right hand of God until all the enemies of God are made his footstool. That is never said with regard to an angel. And the thrust of this whole thing, the point of this whole thing is the author is saying, don't go back. You can't go back. You cannot compromise the uniqueness of Jesus. You cannot in the least way degrade the exaltedness of Jesus. Amen? To compromise the identity of Jesus Christ, even one iota, is to, if we're seeing it rightly, if we're understanding it properly, to get rid of everything that is distinctively Christian. And at that point, it doesn't matter much whether you see him as an exalted angel or a great moral teacher or a wonderful example for us to follow. It doesn't matter. Because you've taken him off of the throne that is rightly his. And the author is saying this. It may be more convenient to water down who Jesus is, but don't do it. It maybe fits more your natural religious framework to see Jesus as less than God, but don't see him like that. And maybe we'll get the persecution off your back. And maybe it will let you have more friends and get along with people better and fit in better with the culture that you're a part of if you just lower Jesus one little bit. But don't do it. Because to do that is to take him off his throne and to no longer treat him as God Almighty, to no longer worship him as the Lord, and that is to destroy the very essence of Christianity. And that itself, I think, has a point to tell us in our age. Because I believe that we, have a, we live in an age that is very much like this one in this one respect, We want to lower the dignity of Jesus. There's sort of a cultural religion that America is a part of, at least. We have a sort of a cultural religion, the religion of the masses. And in this religion, maybe you've noticed it, it's all right to talk about God. People are not offended by talking about God. They're not offended about talking about the Lord. In fact, it's kind of popular to talk about God and talk about the Lord. There's this one band. I I, I don't, it's it's these three uh, singers. Um, I forget the name of the band, but my daughter had one of the tapes, and I was reading the lyrics of this tape, and they were vile, they were lewd, they were just every single song, every single sentence of every single song. Maybe I'm exaggerating because I'm a dad, and this is my daughters who are listening to this, but it was really bothering me because it was all about sex. Everything was about sex. Very explicit sex. They're not supposed to know this. They're only in 10th grade. You know, they're not supposed to know this stuff yet. 
They bad one they shouldn't even know what sex is. But here's a song talking about sex all over the place. But then at the end of this thing, they said, We want to dedicate this album to the Lord. I'm serious. Who gave us these wonderful voices, and we just want to thank God for all this, you know, da 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 da. It made me so mad. It was like, nah. But you see this all the time. You know, Prince, he's always thanking God, and, and everyone talks God language. You can go to any party and talk God language, and people are okay with it. But you mention the name Jesus. Isn't it true? I said, I saw something. Whoa. Back. Jump back, Jack. There's something, that's why when, when a football player or something is given a testimony, it's great when they say, I want to thank God. That's wonderful. I'm not trying to be poo-hoo that. But when they, want to, when they say, when, when some famous person gets on TV and says, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then I'm going like this. Because, you see, there's a world of difference than, from believing in God. God, general God, God, G, big G. That's great, that's wonderful. But which God are you believing in? What's your picture of God? What's your view of God? What's your view of yourself based on your picture of God? It all comes down, it becomes concrete, it becomes focused, it begins to mean something when you name the name Jesus Christ. Now we're talking about something. Now we're, now we're getting to what Christianity is really all about. But see, we live in a culture that wants so very badly to just, yes, like God and, and like Jesus, but lower him a little bit. Why be so particular? Why be so narrow? Why be so myopic in your vision? A great teacher, a great, wonderful, right up there with all the rest, but take him down a little bit from the throne. And if we get anything out of the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, it's got to be this. That you must not do. That we must never do. It would fit in nicely with our cultural religion. We could grow faster. We would not offend anybody. This could be a real good, feel-goody kind of place, and, and people would love it and whatever. But for just that reason, we have got to preach, as Paul preached, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen? It all hangs on that. The author then talks about... Jesus Christ is superior to the angels. And then he turns to this in his final verse. As a double encouragement, he's saying Jesus Christ is superior, superior to the angels. But not only that, but the angels minister to you. The, ministers, the, the angels minister to those who are heirs of salvation. And last week we talked about a number of questions that people have about angels. I dealt with four of them, I believe. Maybe three. But I want to do the, deal with the remaining two here this morning. Two final questions about angels. The first question is this. <clears throat> How do angels minister to us? I believe I talked about this a little bit last week, so I can go over this kind of fast, as fast as I ever go. Angels sometimes appear in visions. They appear just as angels. Sometimes in dreams, sometimes when we're awake. The Bible doesn't make a big distinction between that. In fact, it uses the same word for vision and dream in the Old Testament. But the angel just appears and maybe says something, or maybe just their presence ministers to people. A person sent me a letter this week, and I've, I wanna, or last week, and I just want to say I've gotten a lot of cool letters from, from you guys. I wish I could share them all. Um, and I want to also say this, a little uh, advertisement. I really appreciate letters of encouragement, and I've been getting a lot of them lately, just words of saying I'm praying for you, uh, thank God, and, and just little kudos like that. And I can't answer all of them, and I, but I want, you to, I want you just to know that I really appreciate them. Um, they mean a lot to me. Uh, just a little encouraging thing. But Lately, there's been a lot of cool angel stories, and this one lady was just telling the story about how this angel, her father had died. She'd been in a real distraught place, real despondent about this because she deeply loved her father. And a few days after the funeral, in a state of depression, in the middle of the night, all of a sudden, an angel just appeared by her bed. And she doesn't say that the angel said anything, but just the presence of that angel ministered peace to her. Maybe there was some kind of communication that went on in a nonverbal way, I don't know. But angels sometimes, they can do this even if they don't appear to you, but they can minister peace to you. And she said she was just overwhelmed with peace. 
And the peace of that angel reassured her that her father was in a very, very good place and he could, she could finally release him. She'd been hanging on to him. Angels minister in that way. Sometimes they appear in human form. Hebrews 13 says that sometimes we, we entertain angels unawares. We're not aware of them, but, but the angels are there. And a number of you shared stories uh, about that where you've met people and because of what they said or because of what resulted as a result of it, the, they, you thought that uh, perhaps that was an angel. I sometimes wonder uh, if, if that person I met at the Pentagon, uh, some of you know this story, some of you don't. You can find out about it in the tape that we give away to visitors. But uh, I wonder if this person wasn't an angel. I was at the Pentagon and I was doing a four-day uh, like a retreat for some of the military there. And at the end of those four days, I was burnt, I was wasted, I was fried. My mind, my spirit, my emotions were just gone. I hit rock bottom, and I had the biggest of all the talks I was supposed to do coming up. And I managed to get away for a little bit and find this little chapel, and I was trying to pray there, but my mind was racing because I was so tired. I've been going on for four days on very, very little sleep and a lot of emotional strain. And I was just bottoming out. And in walked these two people that I, I call them pygmies because they look like little pygmies. They're very, very, very short people. And to make a long story short, I, a lot of things happened there that were really miraculous. But one of the things happened was that he just came and he says, we got, you got stuff on you, we got to get it off of you. And he laid his hands on me and prayed for me. And I experienced this instant rejuvenation. It was just, it was like God just repaired my brain cells. Repaired. I just felt his energy. And I can't prove this. I don't know for sure. Maybe that was just a saint of God who was obeying the Lord, walking the corridors of the Pentagon. I don't know. But it could have been an angel. The Bible says that there are times when, we, when angels take human form and we meet them. And so the Bible says, be careful. Because sometimes you entertain angels unaware. It happened in the Bible. Genesis 18, Abraham and Sarah, they meet this guy going through the desert. And, the, and he starts to minister to them. And they realize later on that's an angel. Genesis 19, Lot entertains two angel, three angels. One of them is, uh, is Christ. The other two are angels. And, uh, but they look like, like they're just normal human beings. That's one of the ways that angels minister to us. A third way that they minister to us. And this is, I think, in some ways the most important way, though it's the least visible way. But the Bible makes it clear that we have guardian angels. It says in Matthew 18 that children in particular have angels that guard over them, that, that their, eyes, their, their faces always behold the Father in heaven. Psalms 34, verse 7, says this. I love this verse. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear God. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear God. The word encamps there means to set up tent. It's, it's like you pitch your tent there. It just kind of freaks me out in a way, and, but it makes me happy in a way to, to just think that right now, where is he? Right now, or she, I don't know. I hope it's not a she. Um, but there's an angel. There's an angel. I got privacy issues, but there's an angel there. Well, this can get to your head when you start to think about it. That, you know, is, is there some spiritual being always watching you? You've got to, at some point, turn that off. Otherwise, it get weird. But just to know that there was a, the, the Lord just assigned one of those in the council said, okay, you're going to live by Greg Boyd. Praise God. Uh, you're going you're to set up tent there. That's going to be your dwelling place. And wherever I go, he's just kind of, I don't know, there. I don't know how they do this, that sort of thing. But the, the angel of God encamps around those who fear him. Sometimes in a state of spiritual war, the Bible makes it clear that there's more than one there. So Elijah in, in 2 Kings chapter 6 was surrounded by an army that wanted to do him in. And Elijah's servant was getting all freaked out. And so Elijah prayed, Lord, open up his eyes so that he can see that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. 
And all of a sudden, the servant looked around and could see this army of angelic hosts all along the, the mountaintop with these flaming chariots and whatnot. There was an invisible army that was there, and they allowed Elijah and his servant to, to get out of that situation without harm. The angel of the Lord, or the angels of the Lord, encamp around those who fear him. There's one place in, in, in what is it, 1 Chronicles chapter 14, verses 13 through 15. A splendid passage. David, the young David, this young king, was probably about 15 at the time. He was going to go to battle against the Philistines. So, the Lord, so he sought the Lord, which is always a good thing for leaders to do. And the Lord said, tell you what, don't fight them head on. Go around the back. And when you go around the back, I want you to wait and listen. And when you hear the sound of marching on the top of the balsam trees, the Bible is so strange sometimes. When you hear marching, two, three, four, a one. When you hear marching on the top of those balsam trees, that's the sign that I'm going out ahead of you and the battle will be yours. And what David needed to hear and what we sometimes need to hear is that even while we're doing battle in various ways on an earthly plane, there are those who are fighting for us on a spiritual plane. And it still goes on today. This isn't just some kind of thing that happened in the past. A lot of the stories that I've received and read about deal with that. I'll give you one example of it. This is one of the most... I love things, stories that are well documented. They're not just like stories that get passed on, but that are well documented. Here's one that's very well documented. Billy Graham mentions it in his book on angels. In 1956, during the Mau Mau uprising in East Africa, the Mau Mau people uh, stormed this uh, town of, of Lorai, and they slaughtered all the people that were there, about 300 men, women, and children. There was just a ruthless uprising. These people were really, really mad. They wanted to cause a revolution. There was a missionary school nearby, about two or three miles away, called the Rift Valley Academy, taught by missionaries, and, and they were uh, taught some missionary kids there and some other people, uh, some children of the town of Lorai. And the Mao people began to storm that, uh, or charge, that uh, school. They got within striking distance. The people on the inside thought for sure they were goners, but they were praying to the Lord. And before a spear was thrown or a sword was drawn, all of a sudden the, the Mao people stopped dead in their tracks, and they turned and ran the other direction. Well, some of them were apprehended by the, uh, the, the, the authorities and put on trial. And during the trial, they interrogated them. And asked, did you in fact invade Lorai and slaughter these 300 people and whatnot? And they all said they did, they were caught. And then the question was asked of the leader of, of, of this uh, uprising, why did you not give the command to slaughter the people in this academy? Because you obviously weren't trained to do that. And he said, I didn't give a command not to slaughter it, my people just ran in fear. Because as we approached there, all of a sudden, we saw that there were these guards or military people all around this complex. They were tall. All of them were tall. They were dressed in white, and they had flaming swords, the guy said. Which freaks me out, because you thought God would have contemporized the angels a little bit. You know, it's like, <laughs> give them Uzis or, you know, shotguns or something. And God's still saying, hey, if it worked for Elijah back then, it's still good enough now. But there you go. People see this stuff far more than we ever let on. There was a lady. What, what, I said it was going to be one story, but there's actually two. Um, my car, my blessed, wonderful 1988 Horizon that I love so dearly, finally broke down. It bit the dust. It's done with. I cannot. No. I've gotten more good sermon material from that 1988 Horizon that's got one door handle on it. I, I tried to sell it at a garage sale yesterday, and I couldn't get anyone to buy it for 120 bucks. <laughs> I started at 150. I kept on lowering it. Anyways. I went to this car dealer uh, to uh, you know, try to find a car, and uh, I'm talking to this secretary here, 
And I see an angel poster. I don't know, this lady never met her before, whatever, but there's an angel poster there. You know what I mean? I'm always looking for an opportunity, you know. So I, I, I said, oh, you, you know, an angel poster. I, angels are cool, don't you think? And then she just stopped. She goes, I just love angels. And bam, she, here's, she's probably supposed to be selling me a car. But she says, you know what? I saw an angel. And I was like, oh, this is getting interesting. <laughs> and she says, oh, a couple years ago, I was doing the dishes in my kitchen, looking out the, 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 the door, and uh, on my window, and I saw these two angels. One was beautiful and radiant, and the other one was this ugly, sinister kind of thing. And they were fighting over the housetop of my neighbor. And so I thought, I better go tell her. <laughs> and she went over there, and it turns out that it just opened up a wonderful door of opportunity because this person's marriage was just falling apart. The family was falling apart. And just to know that there's a spiritual dimension to this thing. We are very much like David. We're very much like Elijah and his servant. It gives us, I think, a sense of confidence just to know that while we're dealing with the issues, whether it's marriage issues or financial issues or spiritual issues down here on an earthly plane, there's a battles that are going on, on in a spiritual realm, and we've got our, an army of angels that are on our side, that we don't have to go through these things alone, the rage struggle that you deal with. The depression that maybe you're struggling with. The doubt that's gripping your mind. The temptation that you're a part of right now. The relationship that you just can't seem to get right. The kid problems that you're struggling with. Whatever, the car problems that you have, I don't know. That's not just an earthly thing, but there are angels that are stationed, that encamp around you, that are assigned to you if you're a believer. And they also do warfare on your behalf. You may say to yourself, well, why do we need that extra encouragement? I mean, isn't it enough to trust God? Shouldn't we just trust the Holy Spirit to do all that? And the answer to that is yes, you don't really need angels. God could do it by himself. But think of this. If all of a sudden I'm someplace, I was at a point like this one time in my life where I'm surrounded by people who want to kill me. I got eight people who want to kill me, and they're coming in on me. Now I can trust God. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> you can get me out of this anytime you want now, and I can just trust God. I can pray to God. God, you're able to do this. But you know what? I'm going to feel a little bit more secure if all of a sudden two people come by my side and say, hey, you know what, we'll stand by you and we'll fight for you. Now, maybe that's lack of faith on my part, or maybe that's just the way we're wired. I think it's just the way we're wired. God answers prayer. Trust God. Don't pray to the angels. Pray to God to send the angels. But it makes me feel a little bit more secure knowing, just thinking right now, that there's angels around this place. I like that. Just before we started this service, uh, this is really weird. I got a picture in my mind of this, uh, these angels stationed by the door. And then Tim, Tim, who was on this worship team, prayed this prayer. Lord, station angels around the door. And just wipe off uh, stuff that people maybe have when they're coming to the service. And I was picturing in my mind, it's kind of funny, but the, these angels that were there, and, and, and um, as people were coming in, they had a sign that said, you can check your baggage in here. And then under, underneath this was a sign, feel free not to pick it up when you leave. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> Praise God! <laughs> Amen! Amen. And God could do that. He doesn't need the angels. But look, he could raise my kids without me, but he chooses to do it through me. And it feels more secure to know that there's numerous angels on our side, encamped around us, mighty warriors on our side. Just to be aware of that. Sometimes in worship, to think about that. Ah, it just gives you a great feeling to know that we are part of an entire society that worships and praises God, and we are never, ever, ever alone. A second question that we're going to deal with is this. This is the last question. Is this present explosion of interest in angels a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it's good, but then there are some you know, downsides to this. But uh, there's a lot of good things about it. 
There's another, there's another movie coming out about an angel. I don't know what it's called. Uh, it stars John Travolta. Have you seen that? The, uh, anyone know what that's called? I love angel movies, although some of, most of them are theologically inaccurate. But uh, I, I, I saw the previews for this. I mean, the, the, this guy has got a feather or whatever, but it's John Travolta and stars that other lady who was, was Edith on, on uh, All in the Family. Anyways, I'll go see it first, and I'll tell you whether you should see it. Okay, I'll, I'll be your Siskel and Ebert on spiritual movies, okay? Okay, but there's an explosion of interest in angels in the books, in the media, everywhere. Now, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? <clears throat> in two ways it is good, I believe. In one way it is bad. First of all, as I, I think I mentioned last week, one thing that is good is this. You find that angels appear at turning points in world history. Uh, people report angelic appearances more frequently when something big, either for better or for worse, is about to happen. In the Bible, you see that the angels saying when the creation came about, that's a big thing. When the law was given, we'll see next week when we go into Hebrews chapter 2, when the law was given, it says that it was given through angels. Angels are a part of that. In the calling of Abraham and Jacob, when God was starting to form the nation of Israel, a very important thing was going on. And what do you know? There's angels involved in their life. Jacob has to wrestle with an angel. When Jesus is born, there's angels everywhere. When Jesus dies, there's angels everywhere. And throughout history you find that sometimes before and during great revivals of the church, and sometimes before, during, and after catastrophes that happen in a culture, you find angelic appearances being reported more frequently. And it leads some people to suppose this. Peter Kreft, for example, a philosopher at Boston University, to suppose that this is one indication, not the only indication, but one indication that we are on the verge of, and maybe we've already begun to enter into this, a new thing that God is doing in the church, in the culture, and in the world. There are a lot of prophetic voices that are, at least to some degree, credible that are pointing in this direction. And I am the last person on this planet to ever give credibility to doomsday preachers that think that the year 2000, the Lord's going to come back or whatever. I don't know if it's going to be tonight, and I don't know if it's going to be in 100,000 years. We don't know that kind of stuff. And Jesus said we shouldn't know that kind of stuff. So why speculate about that stuff? But... There is reason to believe that right now God is beginning to stir the pot a little bit. He's beginning to trouble the water a little bit. Begin to raise up a new thing in this, in the warfare. It seems as though the armies, the forces are getting in position for something. There's a sense about that. And what we got to get from that is simply this. This is not the time to be playing church. God wants to revive us. He wants to stir things up. The increased awareness of and the increased perception of and the appearances of angels is perhaps an indication that God is doing a new thing here, an inbreaking of the supernatural into our culture. A second thing that's good about this, and it rides piggyback on the first, is that it shows that our culture as a whole is becoming more open to the supernatural. We have for four centuries been living under the stronghold of, of a spirit of unbelief, a spirit of naturalism, materialism, secularism, humanism. And all indications are that that stronghold is beginning to be broken. The fact that people now believe what they would not have readily believed 10 or 20 years ago, that there are in fact spiritual beings all over the place, that's one indication that things are beginning to loosen up in our culture and that people are beginning to give more credibility to the supernatural. I believe this makes evangelism easier for us. I don't think Christianity ever could operate well in, a, in an environment, or at least there's a lot of obstacles to overcome in an environment where people believe that the only reality is the physical reality because Christianity is inherently a supernatural religion. In the first century, 
the context was much more one of, of people believing that, in fact, the spirit world was a real world. And I believe that this makes evangelism easier. And I, I think we're beginning to see the, the, the beginnings of a harvest in this culture that we haven't seen for years, for maybe even since the Second Great Awakening in the last century. That's a positive thing. What's also positive is this, I believe. Not only is our culture beginning to open up to the reality of the supernatural, but the church, praise God, the church is beginning to wake up to the reality of the supernatural. And the fact that we are beginning to believe more in angels, or at least to be open to their intervening in our life, is one of my many indications that the church is beginning to grab hold of and begin to realize and begin to actualize, begin to use the power which God has given to us. For four centuries in this culture, the church, the Western church, has also been under a stronghold of unbelief. And we maybe have believed that there's a God, that there's Jesus, that there's angels, but it's had no real impact in our life. And what you're seeing happening right now in this culture is this. The culture as a whole is beginning to give more credibility to the supernatural, and the church of Jesus Christ, praise God, is beginning to give more credibility to the supernatural. And as the enemy is coming more out of the closet, the army of God is coming more out of the closet. And what you're seeing, it's, and it's been happening with lightning speed. The last 10 years, the face of Christianity is changing rapidly because God is raising up an army, praise God, of people who understand that Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a theoretical belief. Christianity was never intended to be simply a lifestyle that people live, simply a Sunday morning thing, simply a guilt relief sort of a thing, simply something that gives us a good feeling about life. Christianity was never supposed to be that. Christianity was supposed to be what Paul said it was to be, where when you preach the word, you don't do it with an eloquent, nicely planned out phrase, speech or whatever, but you do it in the demonstration of spirit and of power under the anointing of gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity was meant to be lived with spirit and with power. And God desires to show, not only talk about the kingdom, but to begin to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom. To show off his ability to heal the sick. To show off his ability to reach into people's lives in a supernatural way. Begin to show that he's a supernatural working God. The church of Jesus Christ is beginning to wake up to the reality of the gifts of the Spirit that they are in fact for today. And those forms of institutional Christianity that resist this are quickly becoming archaic because God is moving on and he's raising up an army. There's a third thing about this, though, that's not so positive, and it's this. This four centuries of naturalism created a profound hunger in people for the supernatural. And now we're seeing an explosion of this supernatural, and this angel phenomena is part of it. But because there's been such a starvation going on among people in this culture, there's a tendency among many to think that if it's supernatural, it must be true. And we maybe have lost a spirit of unbelief, but we now are under the dominion of a spirit of what I call religious curiosity. People are intrigued by the supernatural, they're hungry for it, but the enemy is using this as an occasion to lead people astray. You go to B. Dalton's bookstore, or Walden's bookstore, or Barnes & Noble, or any secular bookstore, and check out all the books they have on angels, and there's dozens and dozens of them. But not all of them, in fact, not the majority of them, point to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, many of them point in directions that are absolutely antithetical to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of people seeing a lot of angels and hearing a lot of angels and even being taught by a lot of angels, but some of these are not good angels. 
But because people are so hungry for stuff, and they, they've lost the, 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 the rule, the, the anchor of God's word, they believe anything that comes down the pipe. There's, a, there's a, an, an example of this. Jay-Z Knight is this one woman. She used to be a Baptist, and now she's something else. I don't know. But she's a, a channeler down in Hollywood. And she channels this spirit called Ramtha. Have you heard about this? A lot of the movie stars have been going to hear Ramtha. This, Ramtha was an angel that appeared to her and taught her for two years. For a while, she thought that maybe Ramtha was the devil or at least a demon, but she came to love and cherish this Ramtha and learn a lot of new truths by this Ramtha. And now Ramtha takes possession of her and speaks truths through her. And a lot of people pay a lot of money, like $400 a shot, to find out what Ramtha has to say. And some of their clients are people like Linda Evans, who used to star in Dynasty, and Burt Reynolds, and Shirley MacLaine. They gobble up this stuff. Ramtha. But see, the Bible, the Bible always assumes that, that evil spirits are able to do supernatural stuff as readily as, as, as good angels and, and almost as, as well as the Holy Spirit. The Bible never assumes that because something is supernatural, it's therefore true. In fact, the Bible warns against that. The Bible says that in the latter days, 2 Thessalonians 2.9, there will be, uh, Satan will, will bring forth many counterfeit or deceiving signs and wonders and miracles. You find pagans doing miracles in the Old Testament. Pharaoh's magicians, they could turn a stick into a snake just like that. I don't know how they did it. It must have been by the power of demons or whatever. But they can do that. The Bible warns strongly against dabbling in the supernatural unless it's directly, directly under the authority of God's word. This is what got the Israelites in such trouble. They wouldn't take, thus saith the Lord, as a sufficient reason to adhere to something. And so they chased after other cool or unusual things. The Bible warns explicitly about getting involved in any kind of mediumship, about channeling. It warns specifically against uh, consulting psychics. Amen? This culture seen an explosion of that. You can call up Diane Warwick and her bunch on the 1-900 number and have some psychic read you your... And you know what the odd thing is is they can get it right. It warns against divination. It warns against any, try, any attempt to try to tell the future other than through the prophetic inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But you have now on talk shows, and you have on supposed newscasts, strange universe, whatever, constantly a barrage of things, of people testifying about how they've been healed, how they've been helped, how they've been just rescued by angelic presences and, and, and this technique and that technique or whatever. We are living in a time right now of religious hunger, of religious fervency, of religious zeal, but also and especially a time of profound religious deception. And even a lot of believers are being led astray, saying, well, there must be something to this. You get kind of mesmerized like a kid in a candy shop. It's like, whoa, how cool. Pyramid power. This person can levitate. No, neato. This person can astral project to the moon. And, and, and this person's got a lot of credibility. Look what they can do. And this person wears crystals. And look what they can do. And this person told the future. And this person was reincarnated. And whoa, look at all this cool stuff. And all the while, the uniqueness of Jesus Christ just goes down notch by notch by notch, and the enemy has got to be smiling. It is good that our culture is hungry for the supernatural. It is bad that they are uninformed and therefore vulnerable to deceptive spirits. And what is called for right now, saints of God, and this is the charge to me, and this is the charge to you, it is this. To thank God for the angels, yes. To thank God for the supernatural, yes. But more than anything else, to be firmly rooted, entrenched in the authority of God's word. Amen? We need a people who understand where the anchor is at. A, a people who understand what the criteria for truth and error is. How cool it is, how curious it is, how, how 
good it can help you, even how good it makes you feel, that is not a criteria for truth. Because the enemy can come up, can come up with those tricks all he wants. The criteria has got to be the Word of God and nothing but the Word of God. And any angel, in fact, the Bible says this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, even if an angel of light, who appears as radiant, shining, glorious, halo and all, shows up, promises you eternity, but if he preaches a gospel other than the one that Paul has preached, the Bible says let him be anathema, which is simply the Greek way of saying literally, not in a crude way, go to hell. Honestly, it, it simply means anathema. It means you're cursed. You're, you're doomed. You're, you're, you're of hell. Literally. Is that Run from it. Resist it. Any angel that is worth its weight in feathers will point to you to the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's their job. They minister to us. They protect us. But they point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you ever meet an angel, I don't care if it looks like Monica. <laughs> the devil can do that. But she starts saying, well, you know, you, you know, you could do, do a benefit a lot by these crystals here. And this. You just say, I rebuke you, Monica. You're out of here. Angel of light, I adhere to the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for your angelic presence. Thank you, Lord God, for the choir that surrounds us, the warriors that surround us. And I pray, God, as we go out of this place, every believer would feel secure in knowing that you surround them with your servants, Lord God, who now wait on us. We are honored, Lord, as heirs of salvation, to have these exalted beings humble themselves and, 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 and wait on us. And we thank you for that, Lord God. But we pray, Lord, most of all, I pray, God, for this entire people here, Lord, that we would be protected from deception, from evil angelic presences that try to lure us astray, Lord God. I pray for our children who are right now bombarded from TV and in school with all sorts of false teaching on this, Lord. God, if you tell these angels to do anything, Lord, tell them to protect our minds, our children's minds. And Lord God, as we go out of here, Lord God, help us to go with the confidence and peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. Be warriors for you. And Lord God, for any person who's here this morning who doesn't know you, but wants to know you, and wants this angelic protection, I pray, God, that you feel free to come forward and receive you as the Lord and Savior.